back, everyone. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Onc Dogs. This week's episode will be focusing on ovarian cancer, and we're going to go over the important details on the risk factors, presentation, diagnosis, staging, and treatment for both localized and metastatic disease. Terrific. So to start us off, how does ovarian cancer generally present? So when we talk about ovarian cancer, we're generally referring to epithelial ovarian cancer, which represents 90% of ovarian cancers. But of note, there are other cancers that arise from germ cells or stroma cells. So I'll touch base on those a bit at the end of the episode. And so ovarian cancer ranks fifth in cancer deaths among women, accounting for more deaths than any other cancer of the female reproductive system. And there definitely were quite a few questions on our board exams on all of the gynecologic malignancies, so ovarian, cervical, and uterine cancers. And so presenting symptoms are usually nonspecific, such as bloating, pelvic or abdominal pain, early satiety, or a woman can also present with urinary symptoms, such as urgency or frequency. So it can often be thought to be due to something else. And so women can present with a more advanced stage at times. Agreed. So I think they used to call ovarian cancer, the silent cancer. Um, it's actually not silent. Just like you said, there's a ton of symptoms with it, but they're non-specific. And of course, I feel that women generally put off things like bloating, abdominal pain, these vague GI symptoms, and they try to just, you know, get by and say, Oh, I just have irritable bowels, but it's very high yield, important to listen to your patients in the real world. And of course on the vignettes, be on the lookout for those subtle non-specific things and think GYN. This is definitely a high yield topic. I remember the first ITE that I took in fellowship and I walked out thinking, oh my gosh, there is so much gynonc on that test. And I had not had any gynonc because it is usually managed mostly by the gynecologist oncologists who are more surgically trained. Um, So I remember walking out thinking, I need to learn this somehow, even though I don't see it very much. Um, So what are our risk factors for ovarian cancer? So some of the risk factors are older age, elevated BMI, exposure to estrogen, so things like later pregnancy, which is considered after age 35, a family history or genetic syndrome such as BRCA1 and 2. The lifetime risk for women with BRCA is actually 15 to 45%. There's also Lynch syndrome, also known as HNPCC, uh, Peutz-Jeggers, as well as mutations in the MUTYH gene. And birth control are actually a protective factor for ovarian cancer. And so for women that have the BRCA1 and 2, because they have such a high risk, it's generally recommended that they undergo a salpingo-oophorectomy as soon as they have finished their childbearing. Definitely. So who should be tested for germline mutations with ovarian cancer? So at this point, we actually want to check all women with high-grade ovarian cancer And so just remember that all of those women should get uh, germline mutation testing. Agreed. That's important to know the um, cancers that we test every single person for germline testing before you walk into the board. So when we say all patients, um, it should be bold, underlined, and embedded in your brain. So how is ovarian cancer staged? So most of the time when you initially diagnosis, you're going to do an abdominal or pelvic ultrasound. There can also be a role for a CT or pelvic MRI. You're going to do blood work, including a CA-125, which can be elevated from ovarian cancer, but also there are other reasons it can be elevated. And so in terms of the staging, stage one are cancers that are confined to the ovary. And so 
one thing to remember for stage ones is to consider whether fertility is desired. And so if a woman still desires to be pregnant and has a stage one cancer confined to the ovary, you can preserve the uterus and only do a salpingo-oophorectomy. Stage two ovarian cancer are confined to the pelvis. Stage three, as in other cancers, are positive lymph nodes, or also if they're spread to the upper abdomen. And then stage four are women with distant metastasis. Great. I like that the stage three most most commonly includes lymph nodes. That's a good general if you're trying to guess because you can't remember. Lymph node positivity is stage three in most solid tumors. So when you have a patient with a newly, newly diagnosed ovarian cancer, what treatments do we consider? So first off, you want to ask yourself if they are a surgical candidate or not. So in the vignette, they may be describing someone that's more elderly with multiple comorbidities as not being a surgical candidate. However, if they're describing someone that seems to be a surgical candidate, and this also applies to the real world, you're going to go for optimal debulking followed by chemotherapy as well as consolidation treatment after that. And so what is an optimal debulking? It's cytoreduction, which includes salpingo-oophorectomy as well as hysterectomy. And you want the residual disease to be less than one centimeter. There were two trials looking at neoadjuvant chemotherapy for patients that are surgical candidate. And those that had optimal surgery upfront based on this EORTC trial did better. So remember, if you can go for surgery, surgery is the answer. If they are not a candidate for surgery upfront, you are going to go for neoadjuvant chemotherapy to see if you can attain an optimal cytoreduction. Right. I think those are very important things to note. So when are neoadjuvant and adjuvant chemotherapy options within our treatment plans? So and the what are options, they? So the options that you want to remember are carbotaxel. If you're going to remember one takeaway to pick a chemo as the answer for any of the gynecologic malignancies, it's going to be carbotaxel. So remember carboplatin is part of the platinum class of chemotherapy drugs, and that also includes cisplatin. And then remember that taxol is also known as paclitaxel. And there was one study, uh, the GOG158 study that found that carboplatin was less toxic than cisplatin with similar outcomes, which is why it is preferred. And so this regimen is given every three weeks for three to six cycles. And the carboplatin is dosed by the AUC area under the curve. And generally it's going to be five to six and the paclitaxel dose is going to be 175 milligram per meter squared. It can also be given weekly at a lower dose. And you can also consider the addition of bevacizumab, also known as Avastin. There is no benefit of adding any other third chemo option. So if you're going to pick a triplet regimen, the triplet is going to include bevacizumab. And then for those with comorbidities or that are over the age of 75, you're going to consider a lower dose of paclitaxel at 135 milligram per meter squared with a carboplatin AUC of five, or you can do the weekly regimen, as I mentioned, which is paclitaxel 60 milligrams per meter squared once a week with weekly carboplatin with an AUC of two. Definitely. So when in doubt in any guy, not question, carbotaxol is going to be your guess for chemotherapy plus minus Avastin. I think that's really important to remember, especially if you get stuck on the boards and you just blank carbotaxol. Um, so who needs adjuvant chemotherapy in ovarian cancer? 
So the women with the really early stage ones do not need adjuvant chemo. However, the ones with stage one C, which is positive ascites or peritoneal washings do need adjuvant chemotherapy. So remember that that class of stage ones, they do need the adjuvant chemo. Uh, stage twos, which are again, the tumors that extend to the pelvis will also need adjuvant chemotherapy. So that carbotaxol, and then those with clear cell histology, those are more aggressive need adjuvant chemotherapy as well as the grade threes. So the higher grade tumors, and you ideally want to start the chemo within four weeks of that optimal cytoreduction. There was no difference in survival for three versus six cycles of the carbotaxel, but there is a 28% improvement in recurrence if you go to the higher number of cycles or the six cycles. So I think generally that is preferred. Yeah. Goal is six. If you at least get to three, that's good. So what about intraperitoneal chemotherapy? So there were studies looking at cisplatin with paclitaxel or taxol IV versus intraperitoneal that had shown uh, improved PFS and OS in an older trial. However, other trials have knocked off the benefit of this intraperitoneal chemo. So I think the bottom line is that there's not a clear benefit for intraperitoneal chemo over IV, but for some select patients, it's a reasonable choice. Basically, the based on the GOG252 trials, IV carboplatin with paclitaxel is equal to intraperitoneal carboplatin with taxol, which is equal to IV or intraperitoneal paclitaxel with cisplatin. And these were all given with bevacizumab. But we don't really know which patients benefit most from intraperitoneal therapy, so it's not commonly used. So I think most of the time, your answer is still going to be IV carboplatin paclitaxel. Yeah. I also don't think they can put a question with the answers being IV carbotaxel versus IP carbotaxel, because that's not a fair question. They'll probably give you one or the other. Um, if they do give you both, gosh, I truly don't. I think they'd probably give you maybe something glaring, like they couldn't do intraperitoneal for some anatomic reason. Um, so if there's a response to chemotherapy, is there a role for maintenance therapy? And if so, what do we do? So yes. So for all patients, regardless of their mutation status, you can consider bevacizumab or Avastin as a maintenance option. Um, one thing in vignettes that they may give you to, for you to not pick bevacizumab as any of the treatment options is if the patient has a history of stroke, um, that's generally a contraindication. And then the other maintenance therapy after that carbotaxel are PARP inhibitors. And so for patients that have BRCA1 or 2, you can consider olaparib or niraparib. And then for patients that have wild-type BRCA, so no BRCA mutation, you can consider bevacizumab with olaparib. And one other thing I wanted to mention for the niraparib, it has a side effect of thrombocytopenia. I think actually all of them can cause some cytopenias, but they do like to ask about these side effects. They do. And so what is a treatment for recurrent disease? So for recurrent disease, so we have 20% of these patients that are going to have persistent refractory disease and 60 to 80% will have recurrent disease. And so we're always trying to come up with new trials to improve these statistics. And basically it's really important to delineate if they are platinum sensitive or resistant. 
They're considered to be platinum sensitive if they relapse more than six months since their last platinum chemotherapy. So remember, that's the cisplatin carboplatin. And then you also want to consider a secondary cytor reduction or surgery if possible. So if they are platinum sensitive, meaning they got their last platinum chemotherapy more than six months ago, you can retreat them with carboplatin paclitaxel followed by a PARP inhibitor or bevacizumab. If they are platinum resistant, really want to consider clinical trials. Again, for most of these women, you want to consider clinical trials if able to, but you can also try alternative chemos. So you want to pick things that are generally not containing carboplatin or paclitaxel, such as cyclophosphamide, docetaxel, pemetrexid, or doxorubicin. You can also consider PARP inhibitors if not previously given. And there's not really great responses for immunotherapy in ovarian cancer. So that's probably not going to be the answer choice. Definitely. I think that it's really important to know um, cisplatin sensitive versus refractory. And it's the same cutoff as what we talked about in the small cell lung cancer topic. So again, more than six months or less than six months, that is a standard for platinum refractory, no matter what tumor you're talking about. And again, clinical trials in these patients should be bold, underlined and highlighted as long as that's an option on your test. That is something that should be considered and making sure that those patients are well enough. So these are not the ECOG fours, but these are generally the healthier patients. If they're eligible for a clinical trial, get them on them just because this is such a devastating disease. We need new treatment breakthroughs. So what are some other pathologies seen in ovarian cancers and what are their unique treatments? So for serous ovarian cancer, so if they're low grade, these are very indolent. They're often ERPR positive, and you can consider hormone therapies such as aromatase inhibitors like letrozole or also MEK inhibitors such as trametinib. For mucinous ovarian cancers, these are platinum resistant. So they're generally not going to respond to your carbotaxel. So think of GI regimens such as the colon cancer regimen that we know, the Zelox with capecitabine and oxaliplatin. And then for germ cell tumors of the ovary, most commonly we have this germinoma, which is analogous to seminoma. So remember that from our testicular cancer episode. And so you're going to go for that BEP, the bleomycin atopicide cisplatin chemotherapy. The second most common type of germ cell tumor of the ovary are endodermal sinus or yolk sac tumors, which have these Schiller-Duval bodies. These also require BEP as adjuvant chemotherapy. And then finally, immature teratomas are the third most common germ cell tumor of the ovary. And all of the ones, except for stage 1A grade 1, need adjuvant BEP. So basically for any of the germ cell tumors of the ovary, remember your BEP chemo, such as in seminomas. Agreed. I think it's important to obviously know how to treat our more common um, ovarian cancers, but also these very special histologies, which we do a little bit different things. Knowing the mucinous being treated with a GI regimen, I think that that was a question. So that's an important one to note. And then the germ cell tumors, we treat them like other germ cell tumors. And so one last one is granulosa cell tumors. How do we treat those? So these make lots of estrogen to the point that they can sometimes cause a synchronous endometrial cancer. So you're going to want to do surgery for these. And if you're going to need chemotherapy, again, BEP will be your chemotherapy of choice. So remember carbotaxel. Yes. Carbotaxel for all the epithelial ovarians and then BEP for all of these germ cells and granulosa cell tumors. Terrific. 
And finally, our last histology that we'll talk about before we wrap this episode up is what do we do about the Sertoli Leydig cell tumors? So they can describe these as symptoms of virilization because they make a lot of testosterone. Most of these need surgery, but again, if they're recurrent or metastatic, you can give BEP chemotherapy. Terrific. I think this was an awesome high yield episode. You guys should listen to this before your ITEs every single year that you take them during fellowship and right before your boards too, because if your fellowship was like my fellowship, we didn't see a lot of GYN oncology, um, but it is very testable and high yield. So Kareen, what are our takeaway points for ovarian cancers? So for advanced disease, remember optimal cytoreduction reduction upfront if possible. If not, you can give neoadjuvant chemotherapy and your chemo of choice will always be carbotaxel. Basically, all of the ovarian cancers need adjuvant chemo except for the early stage ones. So basically, the stage 1Cs or 2s, the clear cells, and the grade 3s all need adjuvant carbotaxel. Remember that you can give maintenance PARP inhibitors such as approval, such as olaparib and bevacizumab for all patients, or single-agent olaparib or niraparib for those that are BRCA1 and 2. For recurrent disease, remember platinum sensitive is if they relapse more than six months from their last platinum-based chemo. If so, you can retreat with carbotaxel followed by maintenance PARP or bevacizumab. Remember for the low-grade serous aromatase inhibitors or MEK inhibitors. And then finally, remember for all germ cell tumors of the ovary, if you need to pick a chemo, pick BEP. Perfect. I love it. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Good luck on studying for your boards. They're getting closer and closer and feel free to reach out to us with corrections, comments, or anything that you guys would like to see in upcoming episodes on our Instagram or our Twitter to OncDocs. We'll see you next week.